If you're happy to be here, say, I'm happy. Good. I'm happy, too. I'm always glad to come to SNU, but every time I come, I get a little nervous because I know, like, this is the smart campus. Like, these are where the geniuses are at. This is the genius campus. So I feel like I need to read, like, five books, a dictionary, and, like, three encyclopedias to be able to preach here. But uh, every time I'm here, it's always really fun. And I have a word for you. I got a chance to preach the first large group of this semester. And so to get a chance to preach this last large group here at SNU is very special. It's full circle, which has been a theme for me uh, this year. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers 23. Okay, Numbers is after Leviticus. It's before Deuteronomy. It's the fourth book in the Bible. I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 23. And we're going to read one verse. It's verse 19. I just want to say, Eugene, I really like your boots. (laughs) Those boots. Those boots are ready for the apocalypse. Those are awesome. Those things are strong. Like Eugene. Oh, man. All right. So Numbers 23, we're going to look at one verse, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, just lean to the person next to you, get in their personal space and read along. And we'll read it all together. Numbers 23, 19, all together. One, two, three. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for Emmaus. I thank you for this specific SNU campus. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here through all the students, the student leaders and the staff. I pray that tonight would be a powerful night. I pray, God, that as your word goes out, that it would change mindsets. It would release hope. It would release Uh, just a greater love for who you are, Jesus, and that um, every person in this room, God, would walk away transformed from the staff to every student. uh, God would walk away with a different mindset of who you are and what you're calling us to. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Today, I want to talk to you on the topic. Can you handle the truth? So I want you I want you right now to turn to your neighbor and I want you to ask them neighbor, say neighbor. Can you handle the truth? And then I want you to turn to the other person on the other side. And I want you to say, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You know, back in, back in the 1990s. Now I know this is probably before half of you were born. Uh, I'm just kidding. You all were born in the nineties. There was this movie called a few good men. Has anyone ever heard of this movie? Okay, only like the staff. (laughs) Because they were born in the 1980s. And uh, there was this movie called A Few Good Men. It was in, okay, how many of us have heard of Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise. Okay, Tom Cruise. Hot? Not? Okay, okay. Oh, wow. Mm, Not. Not. eh. Some of you are thinking like, wow, that's inappropriate. It's okay. It's all right. It's a safe place. We can say these things. 
Now, so it was, it was one of the first, like, it was one of the big movies that Tom Cruise was in in the 90s. And it was about these two U.S. Marines who were on trial for killing another Marine. And one of the most famous lines from it is Tom Cruise is one of the defense attorneys and he's interviewing this guy by the name of Jack Nicholson. He's, well, he's an actor named Jack Nicholson. And he's, he's asking him, he's saying, I want answers. I want answers. He's like, you want answers? He's like, I want the truth. And then he turns to me, he says, you can't handle the truth. And every time I've heard that from then on out, I thought like, man, that's an awesome line. You can't handle the truth. And even as I was preparing, I thought about this line. I was praying and all of a sudden all I heard was, you can't handle the truth. And I was like, God? (laughs) But I came to the revelation that so many believers today can't handle the truth. That the problem with many of us is that we find ourselves walking around doubting the truth of God. We don't believe, we either start doubting that God has spoken to us or even that if God has spoken to us, what God has said to us is not the truth. We walk around thinking that if God has spoken to us or if God has said something over our lives, it's not going to happen. It may happen, possibly. Or so many believers walk around not even sure that God has spoken to them at all. Not even sure that they can hear the voice of God. And so many people walk around not being able to handle the truth. Today, I want I feel like God is asking you, can you handle the truth? God has spoken amazing promises over your life. He has huge things for you. But the question is, can you handle the truth? Many of us, we we cannot handle the truth. And I'm going to talk about truth today. And it's really funny because when I was here the first time, I talked about truth. And so as I was praying again, I felt like God once again wanted to talk to SNU about truth. Because maybe some of y'all don't believe the truth or God just wants to say it again. I don't know. That's up to him. I'm just obedient. I want to talk about three things, three criteria to truth and and why we in areas where we doubt. So before we can talk about handling the truth or whether or not we live in the truth, we first have to deal with the fact that a lot of us doubt that God has spoken to us at all. You know, the first reason we can't handle the truth is because we doubt whether or not God has even spoken. And if you doubt whether or not God has spoken to you, then you will either think that God is silent Or when God's voice speaks to you, you will think that someone else is speaking. You'll find yourself confused, wondering, was that God? Does God even speak to me? Is he even trying to lead me? What is God saying? And there's two issues in regards to God speaking to us. And the first is God's capacity to speak. And the second is God's character in speaking. So many believers walk around doubting God's capacity to speak. And then God's character, even as he speaks. So I want to talk about this and I want to look at the text, Numbers 23, 19, because it talks so much about God speaking to us the truth. I mean, imagine what would your life look like if you believed everything that God said? What would your life look like if you believed every promise that was found in the Bible? If you lived that way, if you walked around SNU campus believing that I am more than a conqueror, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. If you walked around believing that the Lord is with me and I'm a mighty warrior. If you walked around believing that God is delighted in who you are, that he's pleased with you. Even when you go through trials, even when you go through certain hardships, it would not touch you. Why? Because you know the truth, right? But so many of us, we doubt whether or not even God 
has spoken to us. The first thing we doubt is even if God wants to speak to us. In verse 19, the second part, it says, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? We first have to deal with even whether or not God can speak to us. Because some of us doubt that. We doubt that God can speak to us, that he has the ability to, or that he even wants to speak. You know, when it's like when I moved to Korea. I remember when I moved to Korea. Now, this was like back in 2000. Well, when I first came to Korea in 2007. Oh, my gosh. Some of you may have been in middle school. Wow, I'm old. Uh, yeah, so 2007, I came to Korea and I remember I got Skype, right? I got Skype. I hooked up Skype on my mom's computer and I called my mom. I remember I called my mom. I specifically remember when I called my grandma. And so my mom from North Carolina in America and I called my grandmother and I remember my grandmother picked up and she's like, hello. That's exactly how she sounds. And she's like, hello. And I was like, Hey, Hey Nina. I call my grandmother Nina. I'm like, Hey Nina, it's me. And she starts freaking out. She's like, no, it's not you. Is this Marcus? No, it's ain't Marcus. Aren't you in career? And I'm like, it's deep Southern accent. So she says career instead of Korea. And I'm like, yes, I'm in Korea. And she's like, you're still in, you're in career. How are you able to speak to me? Like, cause she believed that in Korea in 2007, that they had like rotary phones. Like the phones where you have to like turn it up to get it to work. Like you have to give it power. Like she believed that in order for me to speak to my grandmother, I've got to send her a letter. Or I've got to send a carrier pigeon. Like I need to put a note on the leg of a bird and send it. Because she did not believe that there was the capacity in Korea for me to speak to her. And so many of us walk around with that kind of mindset about God. We think that for God to speak to us, it's going to take a long time. Or even if he wants to speak to us, he's, it's gonna, he doesn't have the capacity to speak to us. He's silent. If he's gonna speak, maybe he'll only speak to me in a letter. But he won't speak to me with his audible voice. We think that God's just not even, he doesn't even have the ability or the desire to speak to us. But you know what? God doesn't use telegrams. God doesn't use carrier pigeons. He's got high speed communication. He's got supernatural communication. God can speak to you in any moment through anything. I want to talk to you about a few ways that God speaks to us. The first one way that God speaks to us is through his word. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture because I want you to know this is not coming from Pastor Marcus getting creative. God speaks to us through his word. Second Timothy 316 says all scripture is God breathed. Meaning all scripture, every word in the Bible is God inspired, meaning that he was the one who thought of it. He's the one who's speaking it. It's all coming from God. Psalm 19, 7 to 9 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God speaks to us also through creation. He not only speaks to us through the word. Some of you may have went to churches where all they told you was you only hear from God in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, God has not said it. But that's not true. God also speaks to us in, through creation. Romans 1, 19 to 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
Psalm 19, 1 to 4 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens speak of who God is. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. God speaks to us through creation. That's why when Rona goes up to a tree, she hears God. Anytime she's near a leaf, God gives her revelation. That's why I noticed like on Instagram, all her campus days, she's hiking. I'm like, who, who does this? Like every time I look on Instagram, she's up on a mountain somewhere and she's grabbed like three of you with her. Some of y'all are crazy enough to go. And you know why? You know why Rona loves that? Because the, the creation actually speaks of God. God actually speaks to us through creation. Sometimes if you're thinking, I can't hear God or God doesn't want to speak to me, just go outside. Do do like Rona does, sit in a bush. God will speak to you. God speaks to us through Jesus Christ. John 1 says that Jesus is the word who has become flesh. You know, to understand the word becoming flesh, Jesus is like when your favorite book becomes a movie. You know, when you see like, you know, Hunger Games becomes a movie, right? You, that book became, that word became flesh. So you can visualize and see that movie so you can understand exactly what's going on. But the big difference is that the word becoming flesh in Jesus, like Hunger Games, the Hunger Games, the book, the Hunger Games, the movie is, the, is someone's interpretation of Hunger Games, the book. Harry Potter. How many of us have seen Harry Potter? I'm going to pray for y'all after. Harry Potter, the movie, is someone's interpretation of J.K. Rowling's book. But Jesus is not someone's interpretation of the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus very much in his flesh. When you see Jesus, he is very much God speaking. When you read his word, when you see his life, when you understand and interact with who Jesus is, that is God speaking. Jesus says in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. Some of us think I don't have I don't hear God. I can't hear hear God. Jesus says in John 10, he says, my sheep and newsflash, you are his sheep. You may not have looked in the mirror and thought of yourself as being a sheep. But Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice. They know my voice, meaning that you have the ability to hear God and know God. God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty five to 26, Jesus says, he says, these things I've spoken to you while, while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. He says that the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, you guys are all in classes, right? How many classes have you been through where someone teaches you without speaking a word? Not many, right? Because in order to teach, you have to speak. And God speaks to us. He teaches us through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says those who are led by the Spirit are called sons of God. That means for when, when God leads you, when he guides you, that's all through, that's all through God speaking. 
And now some of you may still think, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't hear God's word. I don't speak God. I've never heard, I've never heard God speak to me. Yeah, I've read the Bible and it's boring sometimes, especially when I get to Leviticus. I fall asleep during the genealogies, but I've never heard God speak. It seems like it's so far off. I want to tell you that's not true. Deuteronomy 30 says, this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you. To hear God is not hard. For some of you, you think it's too hard to hear God. The Bible says it's not too hard. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. I meet so many people who think they got to go to heaven to hear from God. They need to have a heavenly visitation. The Bible says, no, you don't have to go to heaven. Or neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. It's not too high. It's not too deep. Verse 14 says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it says that God writes his word upon your heart. That means that anytime God wants to speak to you, he speaks to your mind and to your heart. So God has the ability to speak to you, but not only does God have the ability to speak because it's not just enough for someone to have the ability to speak truth, but not the character to speak truth, right? Because if someone, if you don't know a person's character, they can have the ability to speak all the time, but God has the capacity to speak truth, but he also has the, he has the character to speak. And that's the second thing I want to talk about is God has the character to To speak rightly. Verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. At our churchwide retreat, Dr. Kirby Clements, you know, he got up there and he's he's so filled with wisdom. He said, listen here, children. God is not man that he should lie. This means that man does lie. (laughs) This means that many of you lie. (laughs) And as soon as he said that, I felt conviction. I I was like, I'm pretty sure I lied. I, okay, I mean, I'm a pastor. I, I don't. Okay, I lie. I lie sometimes. God's working on it. But God is very different. God, God has the capacity to speak, but he also has the character to speak. Because if someone has the ability to speak, but they don't have the character to speak, everything that they speak will be lies. But God, in his in his perfection, he has the full ability to speak to you, but he also has the character so you can trust everything he's saying. You know, at New Philly, we have this rule that before you pick up a mic, you have to pick up a mop, meaning that before you preach, you have to scrub the floor. And like we have people that come in and they're like so anointed, like they're so anointed, they're like covered in gold dust, you know, like they're so from God, like they walk in and they're like, hello, brother. You know, because that's how holy people talk. Hello, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Bless you, daughter of God. You know, and then we they walk in and they're like, you know, can I speak? I have a word from God. And we're like, yeah, you can speak. Speak to this floor. Here's a mop, you know, start scrubbing the floor. And then they leave because they don't have the character. They don't understand that. For in order for you to learn how to speak truth, you also have the char- you also have to have the character to make sure that what you speak is true. You know, have you ever had anyone lie to you that you know of? Some of you are like, no, never. I'm going to tell you that's a lie. <laughs> you are lying to yourself. See, I've been lied to. I remember when I was a kid, 
and I went to visit my dad. My dad, I met my dad when I was 13 and <clears throat> I went to Columbus, Ohio in the Midwest of the United States. I went to Columbus to see my dad. And I remember when I went to see him, my mom told my mom told him, he said, listen, you've got to get Marcus a pair of shoes. Why? Because my shoes, my shoes, they were running shoes, but they looked like flip flops by now. Like they had holes in them. They were don't feel sorry for me. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm healed. I'm healed. But I remember I remember so much that. I remember that I went and I was so expectant because I was like, man, my dad's going to get me Jordans. He's going to get me the best, most expensive pair of shoes that there are because he's my dad and he loves me and he's rich, I think, you know. And so I fly there. He pays for my ticket to come to Ohio. I go there. I get off the plane. We have like one of those movie moments, you know, like down the tarmac. I see him and I don't even know like exactly what he looks like. So I see like one black guy here and one black guy in the back. And I'm like trying to figure out, okay, which one do I run to? I ran to the right one because the other one like ignored me. But the other one, like, you know, we had this moment and then we, we go to like, we go, we go to amusement parks. We have a great time. And now we're going to the Foot Locker. We're going to the shoe store to get the shoes. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I came here for. All right. You know, this is okay. I came here to see him, but I came here for the shoes. And so we're going and I'm expecting, like, he's like, I'm going to get you some shoes. I'm going to get you some really good shoes. I'm going to get you the shoes you want. I'm like, yes, yes, dad, you know me, you know my heart. I love you. And then we walk in and I run up to the shoes I want. They're way up there. They're men's sizes. Cause I'm like, I just now went up like one shoe size to get the men's size. I'm a man now. I was 13 and, uh, and I grab the shoes and I take them to him. I'm like, dad, I want these shoes. I want these shoes. And then he looks at the shoes and then he looks at the very expensive price tag. And then he turns around and walks over to the other shoes that are one third of the price. So these shoes were like 130 us dollars. And then he walks over to the shoes that are 20 us dollars. And he's like, Hey, let's get these. (laughs) And I remember I felt so devastated. I felt so betrayed. I felt like in that moment, the, fun, the, the thing about it was, and God brought up this memory actually earlier this past year. And he said, Marcus, from that point on, you believed that I would never give you my best. I'd only give you what's on the sale rack. I'd only give you what's good enough. And, and that was a lie. That was a lie. My, when my father lied to me, I took that lie and I projected that lie onto God. And I walked around believing that God's character is one in which he won't give me his best. He'll only give me just good enough. He won't fulfill all that he said. He'll only do. He'll deceive me. Right. He'll get my hopes up only to let me down. And so many people walk around thinking that that's God's character. That God's just a God who's going to get your hopes up and then let you down. But in this verse, it says that God is not man. That he should lie. Meaning that when God says something to you, it's fully true. When God says something to you, he means it. When you read a promise about God, that God's saying to you where he says, I will bless you and multiply you. You will be the head and not the tail. I will raise you up. I will use you in mighty ways. That is God telling you the truth. The second part of that verse says that God is not the son of man, that he would change his mind. And that word change his mind literally is the word repent, meaning that God will never say anything to you and then turn around and be like, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. 
I repent. I can't make it happen. You know, we say stuff sometimes and then we have to turn around and say, I repent for saying that. I repent for doing that. But when God speaks to you, God's character is such that when he says it, it's true. James 1.13 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one, meaning that God's character is perfect. First John 1.5 says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That in, in God, there is no darkness. There is no possibility. The Bible actually says that it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible. Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good. Many of us think that God is not good. That's one of the chief deceptions of Satan is to get us to believe that he's not, God's not good. If he can get you to believe that he, God's not good, then you won't believe what God has to say. But Nahum 1.7 says that God is good. And so his, not only does he have the ability to speak to you, but the character of what he's saying, who is speaking to you, is a, of a person who cannot lie, who would never leave you, lead you down the wrong path, who would never allow you to fail in that regard. Because everything he speaks is true. And so when we when we find out the capacity of God to speak and the character of who is speaking, then we're able to actually think about the content of what he has to say. So many of us, because we have deception in regards to his capacity to speak and his character to speak, we deny the content of what God has to say. And then we start to live lives that are in line with lies and not truth. We walk around with irrational fear. Why? Because we didn't believe we don't believe that God will speak to us. And if he does speak, we don't believe he'll do it. And therefore, we don't believe what he has to say. So we walk around in irrational fear. Maybe we walk around feeling depressed. Why? Because we're doubting his capacity to speak and his character to speak it to us. But the content of his truth is that God wants to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. I want you to stop and think for a moment what it would look like for God to bless you, for God to do amazing things in your life. I want you to think about that. You know, this verse, Numbers 23, 19 to 20, it says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not he do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Verse 20, the next verse goes on to say, behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. The context of this God won't lie. God won't. You know, when I first read that verse, I always got really convicted. I thought that this was telling me about how much I'm a liar. You know, even when I was preparing this message, I was like, should I call this message liar, liar? But then God was like, Marcus, you're misunderstanding that passage. Because every time we hear, oh, well, God's not a man that he would lie. We think, oh, man, I'm such a liar. God won't change his mind. He doesn't repent. Oh, man, God, but I need to repent. But the context of it is saying God is not a man that he would lie. He will bless you. He will he will provide for you. He will do things beyond your wildest imagination. See, the, the full context of this passage is that. There's this guy named Balaam or Balaam, and he is a sorcerer. He is a witchcraft practitioner. He puts curses on people. 
and he has gotten hired by this guy named Balak, all right, or Balak. Some people mispronounce it, say Balak, but he gets hired by this guy and he wants to curse the people of Israel because the people of Israel are moving through his land and he's up on a mountain and he sees them. And he's like, oh, snap, we're not going to be able to defeat that army. We need to get some outside help. And so he gets this guy, they hear Balaam, he's got it going on. He puts curses on people and bad things happen. So they bring Balaam in and Balaam's like, okay, I'll say a curse. I'll say whatever I'm going to pray and whatever the Lord allows me to say, I'll, I'll curse him. It's fine. And then every time he wants to curse, he's like, I, I bless you. I bless you. You know, it's actually like that movie, Liar, Liar. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Some of you are like, nope. Once again, I'm very old. This movie, Jim Carrey, where he gets his spell put on him, where he cannot tell, he cannot tell lies because he's an habitual liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is lies. And so he gets his spell put on him where he has to tell the truth. And so every time he's like, he's in an elevator and he's telling the truth and it's getting him beat up. Like every place where he would lie, he has to tell the truth. And what happens here with Balaam is every place where he would lie and say a curse, God has him tell the truth and say a blessing. And every time where he wanted to say something bad about the people of God, God shifts his tongue where he has to say something good. And that is because God's purpose for your life is not for you to be cursed, but for you to be blessed. That's because God's purpose for your life is not for you to fail, but for you to succeed. That's because God's purpose for your life, even in, ter- in terms of the way you think, is not for you to expect death, but to expect life. See, many of us, we're walking around with this internal story that we live by, an internal narrative. Where the story we believe about our lives is that everything's going to go bad for me. If I don't do everything right, it's not going to go well for me. If I don't do well here, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, if my parents say this, if this happens here, everything's going to go bad. And the, and the story that we believe about our lives is that everything is headed towards a curse. And that's, that's the story that we think we're on. It's this like atheistic, this, this humanistic kind of, of, it's all headed towards death. You only live once. Everything is decaying. And it's just this constant negative spin. And that's the way that we've been taught. And that's the way we live our lives. When we walk into the room, the first thing we're expecting is bad things. When we have a conversation with someone, we're not expecting them to like us. When we step, when we step outside, we're not expecting any, God to bless us. When we come before God, we ain't, we're not expecting him to say anything good. We're expecting him to tell us about our sin. Repent. That's all, that's all we think God says, really. If God speaks to us, he only says one thing, repent. Because <laughs> we have this internal narrative that we live by. Which is not the true narrative that God has us in. See, the truth is very different. See, the truth of the matter is that God doesn't want to curse you. He wants to bless you. Psalm 23, 6 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Meaning that you don't always have to look over your shoulder expecting bad things to happen. Because when you look over your shoulder, all you see is goodness and mercy. Goodness, mercy. Oh, something's behind me. Oh, man, I feel so afraid. What's going on? Hey, what's up, goodness? Oh, snap, what's going on, mercy? 
most of us, when we turn around, we're expecting death and destruction. But when we turn around, there's actually goodness and mercy. God says, he says, blessed will you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. The Lord will open up to you as good treasury, the heavens to give rain to your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. The story you live by is that God will bless all the work of your hands. That's the truth. The truth is that God shall bless you. Psalm 67, verse 7. It says, God shall bless us. That's pretty clear, right? You know, you know the first thing that God, that it talks about God, that God said to man, it says that God blessed them. Then he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. God bless them. You are blessed. That's the truth. I love Matthew 7. This is one of the things that Jesus said. He said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For whoever asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And whoever knocks, it will be open to you. For if you have a father and you go and ask him for bread, will he give you a stone? Or if you ask him for fish, will he give you a serpent? Well, if your earthly fathers being evil... Some of you are thinking, my dad's not, my dad's all right. No, it means in comparison to how good God is, your earthly father is evil. If your earthly father who is evil knows how to give you good things, how much more your father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask. The truth of the matter is, is that when you ask, you receive. What's the last thing you've asked God for? Are you afraid to ask? Are you, can you handle that truth? Are you afraid to ask God for blessing, for favor? Psalm 5, it says that the Lord blesses the righteous. He covers us with favor like a shield. That means that whenever you walk into any situation, you don't have to put up this shield, this wall. You know, so many people, when you meet someone new, you put up a wall. This is my boundary. You know, you walk into any situation, you got your guard up, right? The Bible says your guard is favor. Well, anywhere you walk into, the truth of the matter is that favor is your guard. Are you going to say something? Favor. Favor. It falls to the ground because all it hits is favor. That's the truth. That's the truth. Can you handle the truth? You know, the real content of the truth ultimately is Jesus Christ. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want the real content of God's truth for your life, look at Jesus. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He cast out demons. He fed over 20,000 people with contents as small as five loaves and two fish. You know what that means? That means that no matter how small you think the ingredients are of your life, God can multiply it. To feed millions. It means that no matter how small you think you are. It does not matter. Because if you have Jesus. He performs miracles. He heals the sick. It means no matter if you're sick. If your body is hurting. That doesn't mean that this sickness is going to lead to death. But that God is your healer. He took tax collectors. They were the lowest of low. They were known to be stealers, thieves. No one wanted to talk to a tax collector because he'd just take your money right then. No one wants to be around a tax collector. Thieves, prostitutes. 
And he made them people who are now known around the world. That's the truth. The truth is that he took on your sin, your mistakes. He took on your doubt. He took your lack. He took your curse. He paid the penalty for your sin, conquered it all through his death and resurrection so that you can have life and have it to the full. That's the truth. That's the most beautiful, real truth. This is the truth for your life. This is the real narrative that you're in. You know, the world out there cannot handle this truth. It's so funny. You talk to someone on the street and you tell them all these magnificent things that God has done for them. And they have so much trouble believing it. Whatever. Jesus has died for my sin. I don't have to work to be a different person. Whatever. No, I don't believe that. They can't handle that truth. You know, it's the truth. This is the truth that is hardest to handle. This is the truth that seems like fiction. I love the quote by G.K. Chesterton. He said this. He said, truth is stranger than fiction. Because we have made fiction to suit ourselves. Truth. This truth. Seems stranger than Harry Potter. Why? Because we've taken these stories, we've taken fiction and we've used it to suit ourselves because this truth seems too good to be true. That's why C.S. Lewis said, he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. Maybe you don't struggle with drinking and sexual morality, but maybe ambition. When infinite joy is offered us. He said we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum. Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He said that for many of us, because we can't handle this truth, we'll, we'll stay in the mud pie, in the puddle. We think we're in the ocean. We're like, yeah, it's so much fun. Look at my sandcastle. When the father's like, I have an ocean over here. It's clean. It's pure. You can be there forever. Can you handle the truth? See, when we cannot handle the truth, we exchange it for a lesser fiction. We exchange the truth for a lie. And it talks about this in Romans 1. Romans 1, it says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Here's what come, here's what happens when you exchange this glorious truth for something less. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, mm, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
I wonder if any of those, that was a long list, describes maybe you in some situations. Envious. You ever find yourself jealous? I wish I was like that person. Covetousness. I wish I had that. You know what that is? That's when you don't have sight of the truth. You lost God's capacity, his character, and the content of his truth. See, God calls you to be who believes the truth rather than the lie. God calls you to be a person who through Christ believes the truth of who he is, what he has said, and what he has done. The truth is so good. You know, another truth that God was reminding me of during worship is when he, go, he, he went down to Gideon. Gideon was in a wine press. He was hiding out from the Midianites. All the, all the godless people had ran the entire area. And, they, and the people of God hid because they were scared. And God showed up to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And to Gideon in that moment, that seemed like a truth that he could not handle. In fact, he said, no, that's not true. <laughs> Has not God abandoned us? He said, no, no, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know, something that God put on my heart for S and you is that the Lord is with you and that he calls you mighty warriors that here on this campus that many of you have been walking around, maybe afraid to even talk about how you're a Christian, maybe even afraid to stand up and actually talk about the truth and the life in which you live. But God has called you to stop looking down upon yourself. Stop thinking of yourself as less. Stop looking down upon yourself and saying, I can't do anything. I can't be used. God, God used 300 men to, change, to defeat thousands. God can take a small remnant and completely change this campus. But the question is, you first, can you handle the truth? You've got to start with handling the truth of who you are. Before you can tell anyone else about the truth of who they are in Christ. Do you believe it? Can you handle it? If you take hold of what is beautiful, good, and true. God can do amazing things. That Emmaus Road experience. When they first were talking with Jesus, it seemed too good to be true. But when their eyes opened up to the truth and they ran back. They were filled with nothing but joy, expectation, and wonder. I want us to pray together right now. You know, Gideon believed that the story of his life was that he was hidden, weak, and forgotten. The story of the disciples' lives when Jesus called them, they thought that their narrative was that they were going to just be fishermen their entire lives, lowly, overlooked, even called stupid by society. The narrative that Mary Magdalene lived by was that she was shameful, that her mistakes, that her mistakes defined who she was. What is the narrative that you've been living? What is it? What story do you believe that you're a part of?
See, I meet many, I meet many Christians who they say they're Christian. They believe that they were bought by Jesus's blood. But when you really talk to them, the narrative that they believe is that their lives are headed towards destruction. The narrative that they live by is that they believe that everything that they touch will fail. The narrative that they live by is that if they need to work their butts off, they need to work as hard as they possibly can to be successful or it won't happen. The narrative that they live by is one filled with fear and worry and doubt, anxiety, depression, loneliness. They live by a narrative that no one loves them. No one likes them. That God is disappointed with them. That everyone around them is disappointed with them. And in their mind, that's their truth. But that is not the truth.